0: So welcome to It's Not All About The Numbers, the leadership podcast that doesn't just focus on the bottom line. My name is Chris, and that is Mike. Hi, everyone. And our guest co-host today is Nina Schick, author, entrepreneur, and trailblazing AI expert. Hello, Nina.
1: Hi, great to be with you guys.
0: Great. And how has everybody's week been? Because I know that we're kicking off the new year. We've just had our new year special mike i'll come to you first
2: i've got i've got three things so i've got fuzzy so this is the first week after new year and that first day back in i I was working on emails and stuff like that and it was very much who am i where am i what am i doing so there was definitely a bit of that this week (laughs) it's been rainy so it's very wet 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 out there um and uh, yeah, yesterday was epic. So that's that's kind of like my second thing. And the third thing is today is really sunny and I've managed to have a mindful moment today down at Sandsfoot Castle, um, which is on the coast down here in Dorset. Um, so if you go into my LinkedIn, you'll see the photos from uh, from today having a little wander around. So yeah, it's been a kind of gentle reintroduction back into work. When you say
0: it's very wet, wet, wet out there, you're, of course, you're not referring to the uh, 90s soul
2: band. Uh, no. That is... Not wet No, the restraining orders managed to get rid of them. So they, they're not outside anymore. It's <laughs> it's just the weather. Well, the jokes
1: have already started. <laughs> the, yes. The, well, I don't know about, apologies. I don't apologies, know. Apologies, Nina.
0: <laughs> the uh aging comments I think might have just started. But anyway, um Nina, how about yourself? How's your week been? Kicked off the new
1: year well. Yeah, it hasn't been a gentle start. The plaster is coming off. We're ripping it right off. I'm trying to recover from uh, Christmas at my in-laws, you know, amazing uh, countryside kind of Christmas, but, you know, of that kind of boomer generation, there's just so much alcohol at every moment at Christmas. It was just, oh, another glass of champagne. This calls for a new bottle of red wine. Uh, so I think I'm only ever consistently hungover these days when I'm at my in-laws' place. So this week has just been about okay, straight back on that wagon. Um, go to the <laughs> gym. No more alcohol. <laughs>
0: uh,
1: so are
0: you blaming yeah. the boomers? I think the play the boomers get blamed. Don't you for a find
1: lot. it in your parents' generation? <laughs> they love the good life.
0: Yeah, and
1: they love a little bit of tipple.
0: <laughs> it, exactly. Yeah. It starts yeah. with in our house. It starts with sort of prosecco in the morning.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> uh, then it sort of rolls on to loads of red wine and then i think about two
2: liters of baileys i don't know if yeah. you drink that so you're but... like
1: comatose by 2 p.m right
2: we're gonna need to change the name of the podcast so it's not all about the units i think that <laughs> it, 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 this is this is scary stuff or or don't tell my cardiologist uh, yeah <laughs> well
0: sounds similar for me i um I kicked off the new year by not making any new year's resolutions. Um, I do plenty of planning in what I do anyway. So I was like, I'm not doing that. I got the team back together. We got into the office um, and uh, similar to you, actually, Nina, one of our teams been off for a month, went to Africa, saw the big four out of the big five, had a great time. And it's great to get them back into the office. Um, so welcome back, Ryan. Um, On the work side, we renewed our uh, partnership with the ACCA, which is great. It's like an accounting institution out there that are really sort of driving um, a lot of the messaging around AI. And they've even got their own head of AI, which is great to see for an accounting institution. I don't know whether it was an excuse to get away from the family, but I actually made my own GPT. Um, I created a Gen CFO game changer, which is trying to be a bit of a transformation advisor helper. Um, So that was fun.
1: You're building the prototype of what's going to totally change your industry.
0: Well, we might get into that. Yeah. (laughs) I hope we do. It's kind Um, of a a
2: dramatic thing to do to avoid playing Trivial Pursuit on Christmas afternoon, right?
0: (laughs) Well, it was either that (laughs) or locking myself in the toilet. So I thought I'm not...
1: (laughs) One way to avoid looking after the kids, right?
0: exactly you see straight through me nina um so what has happened this week uh in the world
2: well so first i ought to confess that i find these from from a mate's newsletter that he sends out every week um and so this is definitely pinched from that and he'll be on the podcast in a few weeks time hopefully so i'll thank him properly there but the the thing that i picked out was um a, a a a chart which is about ER visits for Christmas decoration-related injuries in the US after Thanksgiving. It's just funny. So basically, there's three times as many people going to to the ER with a, an injury related to Christmas decorations in the two weekends following Thanksgiving. And then around the Christmas period, drops back down to virtually uh, virtually the normal baseline level of, uh, what, 100? And then goes up again around New Year's when people are starting to take the decorations down. So I suppose that leads to to my, my question to you is, have you ever had a Christmas decoration related incident, Chris? I,
0: I haven't. I haven't. Um, but what I am surprised at, are you saying that there's more incidents of this before Christmas than after Christmas? Because if we're yes. going with this drunken Christmas theme, then surely it would be happening more afterwards when we're taking it all down. Have you had an accident with your Christmas decorations or No.
1: No. It sounds so ominous, a Christmas decoration related incident. Oh, <laughs> y- y- you know what? <laughs> uh yeah. no, I can't say I have. There've been a few smashed baubles, but given I have, you know, toddlers, uh, that's just usually been me oh quickly grabbing the broom and sweeping it up, but
2: yeah, I yeah, think yeah. I, I think for me the closest is the, the dogs thinking that the indoor tree is an outdoor tree. <laughs> um, that, that that's probably as probably as bad as it gets.
0: <laughs> I, I, it did actually make when I looked at it, it did actually make me remember of that. There's a phrase about going up Everest, which is a little bit of a link and a nod to you, Nina, um, which you can explain. But go, going up Everest, it's actually on the descent. That most people die it's not actually going up so don't think that you've achieved putting up the christmas decorations um it's actually <laughs> making sure that you can get them down again
1: wow. i think that's the lesson i love how you fashioned an Everest analogy with the, the christmas decoration incidents have you been no no i'm half nepalese but you know Climbing Everest is still a feat. I, I find it quite scary. I mean, the high Himalayas, the death zone. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I have no intention of getting up there.
2: It's a, it's a bit like marathon running, right? For me, going up, going up Everest. People say, yeah, I do it because it's there. And people go marathon running. It's to challenge myself. And it's like, in my head, it's like, well, I know it's Everest. I know it's dangerous. So why bother? And with marathon running, everyone says it hurts. So they've told me it hurts. <laughs> so why do I need to experience it? I can just say, I know it hurts. That's great.
0: Well, let, shall we try and get this back on track? <laughs> so there's another thing that's happened this week um, in the news, much more relevant to your area, Nina. And um, OpenAI are opening a, a GPT store. Um, so they're they're going to start, everyone's been playing with their, their products and they're going to start releasing the gpts that have been created and i'm quite i'm quite interested to see how this goes because one of the things that i've been talking about recently is that the way that people name their bots and name their gen ai i don't necessarily agree with it as an approach i think they're great tools that we work with but there's almost like this humanization of gen ai which um, I don't really, I don't like, because at the end of the day, it's it's not human. It's not meant to be replacing any humans anytime soon. It can't replace any human anytime soon. That's my view, but we can get into that. So why call it Dave or Mike or Nina?
1: Yeah, this is where it gets so philosophical. And this is so interesting, right? Because if you... Think about even the pursuit of artificial intelligence and the early pioneers of AI. Um, you know, Alan Turing comes to mind when he invented the Turing test as a avenue to really test whether or not machines had achieved human levels of intelligence. You can already argue that the kind of performance we see with frontier AI now, the Turing test has been beaten in a narrow sense, right? In a very narrow sense and we have this innate uh an intrinsic wish to kind of anthropomize these systems, right? And we're already starting to see it. And the the, the most interesting place, I mean, my whole journey with what's now known as Gen AI, I mean, I started to get into this in 2017 through deep fakes. And the first use case was pornography, right? And that's always the pioneering use case. And another kind of really related point to that is how uh, humans are interacting with these systems. And when you think about the tendency to think about them as real humans, a really fertile ground is to look at kind of the dating and relationship and AI girlfriend bot kind of whole scene. And what you're starting to see is that even though we know these LLMs aren't sentient, they can't think like us, they're very good at performing certain tasks, people still tend to give them a certain level of emotional intelligence equating it to humans. So just going forward, this is going to continue to be absolutely fascinating because the Turing test has only been beat in a very narrow sense now. But if we look at the trajectory of AI development, um, I have no doubt in the next three to five years, that's going to broaden out. So how yeah. do we distinguish between you know what is human, what's machine, and again, that kind of innate sensibility we have to want to think of them as human-like?
0: but is is that a flaw in in our approach to it, do you think? or you know it, it's it's a very natural thing to do, right? To say, you know, this feels human, so therefore I'll you know give it a, a human name or or I feel like I'm sort of working you know, this person is working for me, or this is happening, you know, quite, I'm connected with this thing, whatever it is. But is that a flaw in our approach at the end of the day? Because this is software, this is something we're working with, rather than, you know, something that we're, we're really a teammate, you know, or something like that.
1: You're hitting on one of the hottest debates in AI development. Right. Oh, well, Um, I I thank you. It's like the schism of the Catholic Church. Is it transubstantiation or what was it? Constance. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Transubstantiation,
0: yeah. Yeah. Is Is it it water and wine or is it really the
1: blood and body of Christ or is it just water (laughs) and bread? Um, You know, and that there was like this very interesting case study which actually came out uh, a while before the whole GPT eruption, Chat GPT eruption and the subsequent kind of rocket fuel development of so-called generative AI, frontier AI development. And it was, you guys have heard of Blake Lemoine. He was this engineer at Google. And he was actually working with Google's kind of early iterations of large language models. And yep. he became convinced, I mean, he was building it, he was engineering it, and he became convinced that actually we had reached general intelligence, that it was really sentient. And to be fair to Blake, I mean, it's quite easy to poo-poo it and be like, how could he be just so ridiculous? This is obviously just a software, it's just a system. Um, he, It almost seems he got transfixed and the kind of questions he was asking this large language model included you know what are you afraid of and it would say respond with things like I'm afraid of being switched off I'm afraid you're gonna kill me and then he came to this position very public position where he he said this is sentient he got fired from Google and then he did this kind of whole uh, world media tour where he was declaring that actually it was sentient it it had feelings and thus uh, these systems should be given the same kind of ethical and human and moral rights like real living humans right and that was only a few years ago now where do we think this debate is going to go when these systems actually start becoming more sophisticated and that schism you've just identified from like this is just really really awesome software to no 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 This is human. This is real. This is some kind of super like that's not going to go away. And if anything, it's only going to heat up. Like I said, the schism of the Catholic Church is a good analogy here. So so I've
2: got a different. I've got a different schism, but I think it relates to this, which is (laughs) which is, are you a cat person or are you a dog person? (laughs) And and, because I think it relates, right? So I'm a dog person. I've got dogs and completely anthropomorphize my dogs they are they think they feel they talk you know all of that stuff if I if a cat person looked up how I communicate with my dogs they'd think I was utterly nuts and I think as humans it's a thing that we do so when we've got something that we're engaging with a lot and we believe in a lot we do anthropomorphize and I think it's it's just human nature so I can see why it happens but it does create that risk that you're describing really eloquently there Nina of if we believe in it too much.
1: And I think that trend is actually going to accelerate this year because we're starting to see many more consumer-facing applications, right? The AI agents, you talked about the GPT store. When this is uh, seamlessly deployed into the lives of billions of people via you know, the device you have in your hand, or the device you use every day, you know, your laptop, as you know, your assistant who can book your holidays, who can uh, organize your calendar, who can respond to your emails. That tendency to want to think of it as another human, I think, is only going to augment because that uh, into that that huge that consumer user face is really going to be so much more effective and um, om- omnipresent.
2: We, we do it with. Um stuff that we know is not clever so if you if you flip from using google to microsoft people moan so much about microsoft teams and give it this human characteristic that it's just trying to get in my way um you know in the past we used Clippy used to pop up and tell us how to use Microsoft Word, and we knew it was rubbish. But you know, it, it, it would pop up and get in the way. So I think that it, it happens even with inanimate and dumb, yeah. dumb inverted commas things. So it, yeah, it's definitely going to happen. I really liked your
0: your sort of dog cat analogy. Actually, it just reminded me that there are even in that world, right? There are levels of accountability. I don't know whether you know this, but in the UK, in road traffic accidents, dogs are an acceptable reason for an accident to happen. Cats aren't. So you're allowed to run a cat over in a road traffic to avoid a road traffic accident, right? But you're not allowed to run a dog over in the same instance. And it's there are levels of accountability here. Like what if I'm using a GPT or a bit of software and I think that it's a colleague or an intern or it's Dave and Dave made the decision and something goes wrong. But like who's accountable for it? But if I call it, you know, uh, if it's a tech product and I give it a tech product name, you know, the most popular software in the world is not called Dave, it's called Google or Microsoft, right? I think that distinction is really important as we go down the road that we keep our distance from it, not so that we don't use it, but so that we understand its limitations almost. Um, So I don't know whether that was a complete rabbit hole.
1: No, think it's, it comes it's by, fascinating, right? And it,
2: com- it comes back to the Turing test point that you made earlier, Nina. You know, it, Turing—the it, point the Turing test was com- was was thought up by Alan Turing. It, it was very much about it was almost disproving that that the the, 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 the things he was doing were sentient, right? And it's just the technology has changed so dramatically now; it can be so much more convincing now. That I think that's the point you're making. You need to broaden that test out to. to continue to prove that it's not sentient exactly you know there's loads of great debates
0: in this area and and they're being had all over the shop but i nina i'm just curious of your own sort of journey towards this you know you, you you moved into ai for fairly early doors from a a career elsewhere you know what what was behind that shift
1: yeah, yeah. It's, it's still it's still the niche domain of a uh, few researchers. No, I mean, my background was in geopolitics, where kind of for the, the better half of a decade, I worked with various different political leaders on different elections, on different campaigns, worked a lot on warfare and was seeing one of the predominant themes in my work was, and this is incidentally something that's going to continue throughout the century, was seeing how the exponential changes in technology were leading to this very disrupted geopolitical sphere. So understanding that the exponential technologies we see unfolding now are having this real impact on global power, on politics, on billions of people around the world in a way that was just faster than anything we have seen from history. Um, and so I started focusing a lot on information warfare and kind of, you know, was there when kind of Russia was weaponizing some of the information ecosystem all the way back in 2013, 2014, starting with Ukraine, the shooting down of MH17 uh, in the lead up to Brexit. And that kind of all culminated in the U.S. presidential election. So by 2017, I was working with Joe Biden and the former NATO Secretary General Anders Rasmussen, who wanted to work on election integrity, right? And how do we ensure that our elections can be safe from meddling, whether that's by a foreign agent or a domestic agent, primarily in this kind of information ecosystem. And that's when I noticed something very odd on the internet, on the, uh, on on no, nowhere else than Reddit, and uh, it was deepfake pornography. You know, and this was the very first use case of what is now known as generative AI, I- i.e., these new capabilities of artificial intelligence, where with the right training data, uh, the systems can generate something, including hyper realistic content of people. So far beyond anything we'd ever seen before. And the distinction was, you know, uh, discriminatory AI, traditional AI was more about labeling or categorizing data, but now it's actually creating something new. Yeah. Um, and then I got from that point on, I, I was hook, line, and sinker. I was in. I was like, yeah. this is fascinating. This is just one. And at the time, it was often kind of uh, talked about as though it was just some kind of tawdry women's issue because 100% of victims or I I don't think not 100% but 99.9% of the victims of AI generated fake pornography are women but I understood that this is so much more than about women this is about the information ecosystem this is about information integrity Uh, how do you operate in a digital ecosystem where synthetic content is going to flood the zone, and you have no way to distinguish between synthetic and authentic. So that was kind of one layer of understanding. And then the years that followed, that understanding actually evolved into something far greater, where actually it wasn't only about information integrity or mis- or disinformation and AI-generated content. You understood that these new capabilities of artificial intelligence are really now starting to push on the boundaries of human intelligence, right? In the sense that these systems now trained on a lot of data with the exponential power of computing also going up, are able to slot in and perform intelligent and creative tasks in a way that had not been possible before, which was just completely theoretical. So. It moved from kind of like information warfare to disinformation to being like, no, this is the beginning mm-hmm. of, an infor- uh, of an intelligence revolution. And then the whole geopolitical background that I have was so relevant because you understand that this is not only about software and computing, but the impact of this revolution is going to transform societies. And it's going to happen far faster than any kind of technology we've experienced in the past.
0: There's so much to ask there. I I know, you know, Mike and I have highlighted some deep fakes in the past. That is a fascinating part of this world. I think the whole transformation shift we're aligned to, I think you're probably looking at it on a global scale. We're probably looking at it at a corporate level. um, And it's that is fascinating.
1: And it plays uh, out on all those levels, right? Because there's going to be this, the corporate and work environment is one of the most fascinating. And that's where you see so much upside as well. And then there's also a level where it impacts billions of consumers, right? Because these capabilities are going to be wrapped up on your mobile device, on your laptop. You know, they're going to be woven into the fabric of life for billions of people. And then at the highest level, It's going back to my geopolitical background, it's really going to shift the dynamics, the power dynamics of the world, which is why you see such a kind of race for AI competence between the big beasts, you know, China, the US, and increasingly so much attention on AI investment and AI development in parts of the world like the Gulf, which are trying to diversify away from their um, energy economies. So. It's yeah. fascinating at each of those levels. So
2: I've got a question kind of relate that, that, that touches on that. So there's a couple of things that have gone off from my head of you mm-hmm. as you've been talking. And and one of them is around in the past, we've had this position. So like in the in the hundreds of years ago, we had the, the British, the British were the you know the global superpower. And you had things like the East India Company, who would colonize India, take over India, and they were allowed to do things that probably are, are very um questionable. Yeah, because the money was returning to the mothership, right? Yeah. So, so that was fine. I see I, where I, this
1: is going. Yeah. Well, so, so, <laughs> and and, and,
2: so, and the, 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 so the observation or the thought is that the the it feels like power is shifting from the nation state yeah. to companies and like yeah. the, the Samsungs, the Apples, the Googles, the the Open AIs, Microsoft, in a way that hasn't happened before. Absolutely. With the East India Company, what happened was it, eventually it, it got it got untenable, and the British government went in and said, oh, "No, actually, we'll just take back all the power." Yeah. Um. I I wonder if we're in a situation where that's going to be impossible in the future in this space, yeah. and that's that was my my question is, do you yeah. think that that's the paradigm that's shifting?
1: That is such a brilliant observation, and I've had um similar kind of thoughts because. If you think about geopolitics and power and people, what is happening now is that an incredible amount of economic power and just sheer political power is vesting in a few of these monolithic tech companies. Right, who actually own the core infrastructure which everybody else is going to plug into. They own the platform, they own the infrastructure, and we are just kind of building applications on top of that. And we already saw that over the past decade with the rise of the internet and social media, but AI takes that a whole level further, right? So, so Again, coming back to the question of accountability, you know, this is going to be hugely important. You know, who who is accountable? They are obviously not elected, but already. I, I mean, I don't think it's controversial to say that the CEO of Microsoft or the CEO of OpenAI is probably more influential than the majority of elected leaders in the world. Yeah. And what I see happening, I mean, one of the other things I've been doing over Christmas, which is real hashtag geek stuff, um. That been as well, going, as, well, have, as yeah, well as drinking, yeah, as well as drinking. Have you guys? Heard, so I've been going deep into this podcast series. It's called Dictators, and it it has a seventeen episodes on the rise and fall of Adolf Hitler. Wow. <laughs> so yeah, I went deep into that, but it was it was very interesting because again, what happened in the twentieth century was the complete breakdown of the old world order. Right. The 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 empires came crashing down. The kind of systems that existed were no longer tenable. And I wonder, I wonder when you look again with my background in politics and when you look at the limits, you know, we we're all kind of post-war children. We grew up, you know, in the 80s and 90s when, you know, the end of history was here and liberal democracy was, you know, forever going to be this, this march to progress. But now if you look at Western democratic societies, you're seeing the limits of the system in the sense that they are no longer able to handle the challenges which are facing us in this world, right? We see it in the UK, we see it in the US, we see it all around Europe. And, One wonders, you know, how is this going to evolve when it's already so clear that our elected leaders are simply not competent, don't have the power, don't have the vision or the strategy, and so much power is amalgamating either in the hands of authoritarian states or private tech entities. And also increasingly, of course, it must be said that these capabilities are also being extended to individuals. Right, because it isn't only that, oh, you know, OpenAI or Google or Microsoft or the Chinese state has access to this. We're all going to have access to it. So this all leads me to believe that this is going to be a century of great disruption, you know, uh, led by these exponential tech-led changes, um, and where we have to completely think differently about how to tackle these challenges because our kind of analog systems of you know the mid 20th century or actually starting all the way back i mean say you know from the french revolution they need to be updated we need a software update
2: yeah we're almost seeing that end of end of days thing with twitter right so you've got a single individual that's come in to take over something that we thought was a digital public good that we all had control over and the way that that has been corrupted is probably a strong word but you know corrupted from what we thought it was over the past 12 months really illustrates in a non-AI sense yeah. what you're talking about in the in the that that AI s- space I love this conversation I could talk about this for another hour
0: easily but uh, there's actually a, a, a real world example unfortunately of of this corruption already you know it so what I you know, I've, I'm in the accounting and finance space, and you know, obviously, the, the big four manage basically all the large companies in the in the world. And you know, there has been corporate failure after corporate failure after corporate failure when the governance has been, you know, with held with the few. And it's almost like the the monopoly drives the power, drives the corruption, and I think we're in exactly the same state. And it's a worry because even when the governments do try to intervene you know you referenced the uk government and the east india company but the government is failing at the moment on that agenda because you know the the financial reporting council which was set up to govern you know this industry the accounting and professional industry to make sure that it's you know fit for purpose and you know people are held to account and and there's a whole legislative process around it, it's been deemed in the last couple of years as, as failing, it needs to be replaced, and it's not for the purpose. Okay, we all agree that, but it's not been replaced yet. It's, it's not been put through government. It's not been prioritised. So at the moment, even in the corporate world as we stand today with current systems and structures, mm-hmm. we do not have a functioning governing body. Yeah. And imagine what you're talking about, know, is a much more complex and black box sort of governance requirement. It, it It's going to be very, very, very difficult to to get it right. And my concern is the power corruption dynamic, right?
1: And just like the lack of knowledge, you know, we've seen it so often over the past 12 months where... There's this understanding across society, whether it's in the corporate world, whether it's amongst, you know, the political elite, or even just on the grassroots level, that this is a big deal Uh, and AI and associated exponential technologies are going to change the world. So there's been a lot of interest and energy and focus on regulating and governance and accountability, but one of the things that always struck me is like, well, this is problematic is when those who are building the systems are, you know, talking to the policymakers about how to regulate the technology because there is, and and policymakers are getting better, but there's still such a dearth of understanding, you know, when you're yeah. trying to regulate these black box systems and you can't even understand them and you need to basically go to the people who are building them to ask them how to regulate, it's kind of problematic, right? Could be a conflict
0: uh, it, of interest. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that the same applies with the FRC and the integrated reporting council and stuff like that. Who sits on the board? Well, all of the big four partners. It's like, well, hang on, you can't, you know, you can't yeah. mark your own score. Anyway, look, this is a little bit dark. So I'm going to move things on. And it's at this point normally that we ask, you know, for questions. And if you do want to ask his questions, then do send your emails into podcast at generationcfo.com or reach out directly to Mike and myself on LinkedIn. Um, But the question this week is just fun because it's to also lighten the conversation a little bit. Uh, Robot arms or robot legs. If you had to choose one for life, what would it be? Mike, you've had
2: some time to think about this well so my given the conversation we've just had it depends who's in control of them right that's 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 actually the the first the first bit of the answer uh, the second bit of the answer is given my gammy foot gammy knees and age it will be legs just so i can carry on running walking climbing stuff definitely legs.
1: mine is arms because oh, yeah. i yeah because I don't ever want to load the dishwasher again. I don't ever want to do another load of laundry. I don't ever want to tidy my kid's room again. I don't ever want to pick up a piece of Lego definitely the uh, arms uh, you're as, you're imp- as a domestic assistant <laughs> you're
2: definitely yeah exactly you're definitely implying that they're detachable that's a different that's a whole different
1: oh, question yeah, and if, they're detachable, if they're detachable
2: <laughs> then i'd go with arms okay, as well okay, yeah.
0: okay.
2: <laughs> well detachable just legs imagining
1: you, a, you, you know just... a completely solo arm doing all the domestic exactly. for
0: me yeah yeah that's that's a bit adam's family that yeah. that's a bit creepy but, but if it's detachable legs though mike you could they can just take the dog out for a walk
2: even better. I know, but I quite enjoy the walk. That's the well, point. That is, that,
0: is <laughs> that is very true. That's very true. I would be uh, robot legs, definitely. Robot legs. I I feel that my hands are far too important to me. Yeah. Um, to, to give those up, even though I, I do understand the sentiment. Um, Nina, so they're not
1: detachable then?
0: Well, um, I, I think for the sake of this, we'll say they're not <laughs> detachable. Oh,
1: so,
2: so that's, 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 that's interesting, Chris. your justification for having <laughs> robot legs is because you don't want to get rid of your art, uh, your arms <laughs> rather than actually the benefits of having robot legs, <laughs> which is where I went. It's rather called, d- it's called deduction, Mike. It's called deduction. Okay. Sherlock <laughs> yeah.
0: Holmes was quite good at it, apparently. Right, right. Um, not that I'm i thought. I thought myself. you were just linking it back to finance again. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, always. I'm, I'm doing my best. I'm doing my best. <laughs> but it's not all about the numbers. And this podcast has clearly shown that it's not all about the numbers. Um, so, this section, we go and talk a little bit about good data, bad data. In the last pod, we talked about what is data and what is good data and bad data, because there's a lot of questions around it. Um, and basically, what this section is is anything that we want to throw in it. <laughs> that's vaguely related to data so mike you were showing me um some visualization this week and there was this underground visualization so we've got a global following so in london there is a tube system an underground system a subway system and it was really cool because it kind of mapped the depth of the tunnel as it goes through the system and it was kind of almost just to scale um and as a londoner i absolutely loved it because i was sort of plotting my journey and almost imagining me going through this virtual world um without needing vr or uh you know some kind of augmented reality goggles um but i loved it but my question was really where did you find it and who's the audience because it was fun but i've got no idea what i meant to do with it
2: so so clearly i was reading the same newsletter I've got a number of examples and that came from Giuseppe as well. So thank you, Giuseppe. Um, uh, So, but who's the audience? For me, that's very much data as art. I can't, I don't think it it has any purpose other than it's exactly what you did with it. It's really interesting and you can visually put something up on the wall, which people will go, oh yeah, that's kind of cool. But I don't, I don't think it has a a practical application because, you know, once you're on the tube, you don't care whether you're, 30 meters underground or 300 meters underground as long as you get from a to b
1: it would actually freak me out if i was (laughs) getting on the tube and i knew i was going 300 meters underground look at that visualization and get the hell out of there maybe they're using it as like a you know uh did did, did they post this in the underground during like um rush hour to kind of uh, as a Uh, as a (laughs)
2: <laughs> it's no, it's very, very much, very much an art, a, art thing. So yeah, I, I, I'm not sure about the depth. Would be my concern. It's the bit, it's all the bits that go under the river. So when you're going under the river, it's like you know that trip between Embankment and Waterloo Station. It's like,
1: mm-hmm.
2: yeah, you're
0: not, you're not getting on the Eurotunnel anytime soon. Then, by the sounds of it. It it flooded the other day, by the way. We almost
1: had a flooding incident, so, yeah.
0: Yeah, Yeah, it's a bit scary, but um, let's keep it light. Uh, So, Mike, how about you? What have you seen?
2: Uh, So, the one that I I pulled, again, I think courtesy of the same newsletter, is um, the Google Trends of 2023, so the most commonly searched terms. um, And what's really interesting for me is like chat GPT is there's like a constant high level of searching through the year but there's then there's some really noticeable Peaks at different points so when when Barbie came out there's lots of Margot Robbie searching and when um October the 4th happened there's lots of Israel and Gaza searching um so yeah just just looking at the the story of the year through Google Google searches I thought was quite quite a fascinating a uh, bit of bit of data. it it says to me that
0: you basically have to be famous uh or celebrity
2: um and and dead i think is Uh, the other one yeah i think i think famous and doing something or famous and dying i think you you hit the list so that yeah unfortunately tina turner and matthew perry are on there alongside taylor swift and uh connor yeah but uh but there is this persistent
0: search block for chat gpt I would have thought that had peaked at some point during the year.
1: Yeah, but it won't be ChatGPT anymore because I think OpenAI kind of had a monopoly in 2023 because of you know the the miracle of ChatGPT. But if you kind of look at the ecosystem now, it has a lot of competition. Although I would say that the competition is centralizing around a few players. And open source is doing phenomenally well. So there'll be many, many more applications. It won't just be ChatGPT. And another thing is that we're really moving into multimodal models. You know, ChatGPT is an example of a so-called large language model, a model that can work with text, but uh, multimodal systems will be able to interpret text, video, audio, you know, any form of digital medium. So they're going to be far more sophisticated. Uh, So you probably... My guess is you probably won't see the dominance of one AI application anymore because it's going to be so diffused and pervasive that there's just going to be lots of different AI trends, but it won't just be ChatGPT dominating to 2024.
0: Do you you think with, with that in mind, do you think we will actually stop talking about AI so much because we'll actually learn what it really means? Uh,
1: Yes, because there will still be a discussion about AI, but in a way, it's only AI, so long as you can't do it. And then you can do it. And then it isn't AI anymore. It's just part of normal life, right? So there'll be a normalization of these new capabilities of artificial intelligence. And also, there was a special moment after the birth of ChatGPT, where it was about AI and ChatGPT. But if you consider what I just said about this becoming more diffuse, about this being uh, integrated into the fabric of life through multiple different applications. AI will lose its significance in the sense that you're just like, it's like talking about science or technology or digital, you know? There's so many applications that are vertical, horizontal. You're talking about the corporate world. You're talking about consumer products. You're talking about kind of on all those levels we discussed before. Um, and we'll, I think uh, we'll kind but, of go from
0: cavemen talking about food to uh where we are today talking about recipes. Exactly
1: that. But, I, but but I still think AI will have a really important place in the public conversation as a political concept. Because I think the fears the real fears around artificial intelligence in particular to do with automation are not going to go away and i think it's going to become one of the most kind of salient political issues and again there will be that tendency to anthrop- anthropomize it and be like oh ai is going to take our jobs or you know yeah. that that i don't think is going to go away as a political concept
2: so we're on a journey from from ai to witchcraft to magic to applications so we're, yeah, we're, right. we're kind of like we're kind of like in that bit now between it being witchcraft and magic yeah and eventually it will be the applications that we that's just right. commonly use and it's yeah. just normal
1: yeah it'll be so normalized yeah
2: yeah so bad data um
0: i'm actually going to scrap what i was going to say and and bring back that conversation about the uh financial reporting council because it, I, it just has dawned on me having this conversation just how bad it is That we have a situation in the UK where effectively we have a governing body of, you know, corporate governance, financial reporting, audit, pensions, that is ineffectual and we haven't actually replaced it yet. That's my bad data. That'll appeal to all the CFOs out there.
1: (laughs) Can you automate parts of that?
0: Uh, Yeah, well, you know, let's try. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so, so if, uh... if i was
2: being if i was going to be even more bleak with what you've just the one that you've pulled out there chris i i would say that there's quite a few examples in the uk where the regulators aren't necessarily performing the function that we'd expect them to perform um i i saw this morning our friend fergal sharkey um sharing his pictures of where the, the sewage discharges are into the sea because of the extra surface water. So the question there about the regulation of that industry, there's the question question about the regulation of the press post Leverson. I think that what you've described in this area is actually symptomatic of something bigger. Yep. Well I we need happy to go back we need year, to go back everybody. to we need to go back happy to, to robot arms quickly.
0: <laughs> 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 you know governance is always a bit of a dull word I think to people but never has it been more important um, by the sounds of it. And also in the Gen Gen AI space.
2: And, you know, it does come full circle back to, to what you were talking about, Nina. And it's that, that, you know, the people that are setting up the governance frameworks, do they really understand what it is that they're trying to govern, I think is the, the message that comes from this conversation for me.
1: And to be fair to them, you know, I, I do think we have seen that there has been a real lack of knowledge, but, you know, scrubbing up quickly. But when you talk about, again, governing AI, you know, that that's the kind of open-ended black box question. So you have to break it down into little chunks which is kind of what the uk's approach has been right at least on paper i don't know how effective it's going to be but let's see is that we're not going to talk about ai as some whole but we're going to talk about the applications of ai within certain industries and that's a far more uh palpable way of actually like governing use cases of ai within industry
0: amazing so we're going to wrap up i there's been so much in this podcast nina thank you for being part of it i think we kicked off the new year in style so thank you for doing that what what would be your sort of your message to to business leaders when it comes to you know engaging with this
1: um i definitely advocate embracing it and using it there is no look if you want to be competitive and you're not using these new um AI capabilities and others are, you know, you you can't compete. You're playing checkers and somebody else is playing 3D chess. You you have to, and moreover, it's just going to be become integrated, like I said, into kind of the fabric of the information ecosystem. So even if you're like, we are not going to adopt any AI solutions, it's probably not realistic. But that doesn't mean you shouldn't be careful because I think we should be both accelerationists of AI and, um, which I think is an inevitable, but we also have to think about safety. So it's they're not mutually exclusive. Adopt, but think carefully about governance, safety, data, all the rest of the good stuff.
0: Yeah. Sounds brilliant. Sounds brilliant. Jump in the right car and make sure you run over the cats, not the dog. That's <laughs> what I would say. Uh, that might be controversial to a few people, but hey, there we go. Look, Nina, thank you very much thank for you. being part of this day. Thank today. you, Nina. Mike? Thank you again. Um, at this point, you know, we, we have shout outs and, you know, please get in contact with us again if you'd like to appear or you'd like to have um, your message put out to our community. That would be great. And have a fantastic 2024. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, Nina. And uh, remember, it's not all about the numbers.